You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Please open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. I'm going to get right to our sermon title today. It's this, Why Then Are We Faithless? You're like, oh, that's not very nice. But, but it's right out of our text today, and this is the theme, at least, the subject we want to concentrate on. Why then are we faithless? In my opinion, that's a provocative title. Um, it instantly stirs up controversy. Maybe you're like, Wait, what do you mean, faithless? Why are you saying that about me? Or how come you even suggest that in this setting? I think it also quickens the attention of the listener because when you hear the phrase, why then are we faithless, it's implying a context of wrongdoing. It's implying a context of inconsistency and, of course, faithlessness. The reason that's our title today, our passage today contains seven verses. Five times the word faithless is used in seven verses. So that means God is sending a message in this particular passage. It's a message that when you gaze upon the perfect faithfulness of God towards us, and you see his perfect relational faithfulness to us, it begs the question of ourselves as we recognize our imperfect faithfulness to God. And really what we want to ask ourselves is, why then are we faithless? Why do we treat God the way we do? Why do we treat each other the way we do in light of the relationship that we are to have with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who lives within us? Why then are we faithless? Now this accusation or this charge, this exhortation is specifically used in Malachi chapter 2 verses 10 to 16 in the context, listen, of marriage. This message today is fundamentally about God's heart for faithfulness within marriage. It's really about how much God cares about the covenant that He has instituted in what we call and He calls marriage. As you track through the book of Malachi so far, what do you see? You see God saying, I mean, I love you. I love you, my people. I love you so much. I, I want you to love me. He's like, listen, I want you to fear me. I want you to live in the, in the honor of my name because that's when life is really felt and lived. I, I want your hearts to be healthy. Because if you don't love me, if you don't honor me, then your hearts are not healthy then what inevitably happens then, the rest of life begins to fall apart. If there's no fear of the Lord and no love for God and no healthy heart, if there's no strong vertical, there's really no hope for the horizontal. And we're going to see that today in Malachi's text. The horizontal is starting to get really messed up because the vertical has been neglected. It's been dismissed It's been despised. 
And God knows this. He's like, if you don't get right with me, then all the other stuff's not going to go great. My people, won't you return to me that I may return to you? Again, it's amazing to me, this book written 2,500 years ago, prophesying with stunning accuracy into our day today. Because think about it. Think about in our day today. The lack of love for God, the lack of fear of God, the hard heart against God, and what do we find ourselves? We find ourselves in swimming in the midst of society that is being destroyed. You took away the love for God, the fear of God, a heart for God, and society begins to crumble. In Malachi's day, yes. In our day today, yes. And what does God know? It always starts in the home. Because why? God has designed it to be that way. He has designed a man and a woman to come together in the sacredness of marriage to form a home and Lord willing to have a family. And that's where society is found. The destruction of marriages, destruction of a home, destruction of society. And here we are. And God knows this. And this is why marriage is a massive deal to him. We cannot miss that as we enter into this passage today. So I'm going to say some details about marriage specifically for the remainder of this message, but just to start off by saying God cares so much about hearts for him and specifically marriages rooted in him and faithfulness in marriage and how sacred it is to the Lord. The question before all of us today in one way or another then is this. Why then are we faithless? Why then are we faithless? You know, wisdom right now, wisdom takes that question seriously. Foolishness says, what do you mean? I'm not faithless. I'm not faithless at all, man. I'm just, I'm doing great. I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing this. I'm just, you know, everything's going super great. I don't believe that's wisdom because then wisdom says right now, I say, no, no, there's something God needs to teach me today. I think the wise person right now is saying, Lord, I don't maybe see it right this moment, but I pray that you would show me what you need to say to me on this issue of faithfulness to you and faithlessness in me. God, I pray that you would speak that I might hear. That's what wisdom says right now, and so I exhort you to wisdom, a posture of learning, a desire to say, God, there's something here for me today within the question, why then are we faithless? Malachi 2, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless. There it is again. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this and who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Verse 13. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears and with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But notice, but you say, why? Why is he not accepting our offering? Why does he not? Why is he not listening to us? Here's the answer. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. To whom you have been faithless. Listen, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. 
Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking in a faithful covenant of marriage? Here's the answer, godly offspring. Now here's the result. Therefore, so, so, so guard yourselves in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Notice it ends again, repeating, repeating the phrase, the exhortation. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. I'm hoping you're picking up the theme as we went along. It should be pretty clear. Marriage is the theme and faithlessness is the accusation. Now faithfulness is the charge. Let's get started then. We're dealing with what God believes and desires within the context of marriage and specifically faithfulness from our lives to it and to Him. So within marriage, we start here, point number one, we must be faithful to the Lord. Within marriage, first and foremost, which is most important, we must be faithful to the Lord. Now we enter into this message right now, you might say, well, I'm not married, so can I leave now? Absolutely not, all right? Here's what you have to understand. One of the reasons that marriage is so sacred to God, because marriage is really describing the most important relationship there is in the universe. The relationship of Jesus Christ to his church. You're not married now. You want to be married one day. You definitely know people who are married. Listen, every marriage around you impacts you in some form, in some way. God has designed it. That marriage to be the center of the health of a home and the church and the community and the nation and the world. So regardless of if we're married now or want to be one day or whatever, this is a message that is relevant and pertinent to every single person who sits here. Young child, you are here right now in this service. And your ability to listen and comprehend the word of God, do not let this message go you by. Do not miss how important it is to the Lord that you would be raised up in a situation that you understand most of all in this deplorable society that we live in many ways. That the ways of Jesus Christ are perfect, fantastic, and will never see error because his ways always, always work. And it begins with an understanding as to the covenant, the design, and the perfection of God that he seeks to have within what he has designed called marriage. You need to listen. There's something here for every single person here right now. Verse 10. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? The point that verse 10 is making is this. We've all been made in the image of God. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? So therefore, um, all people are equal before God. Now, specifically in this context of Malachi, God's people have all come from the same father. Not Abraham, God himself. So that means then all people deserve respect and honor. But what we find out here is the Jews were not treating each other with honor and respect. They were actually treating each other with contempt and at times with hatred. Now remember the context is they have just returned from captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Okay, If there's ever a time they needed unity of heart, it was now. If there was ever a time they needed to band together for mutual encouragement, for love, for understanding, to be compassionate and empathetic towards one another, this is it. But as one commentator said, as the wolves raged outside 
the Jewish people, the four nations coming against them, the sheep were biting and devouring one another on the inside. And that is very sad. Why then are we faithless to one another? Think of how this applies to us right now. Let's be so wise here. Is it possible that when we treat each other so, so poorly, okay? think about think, think of things that you and I have seen over the years of following Christ. Think about how when believers treat each other so poorly uh, in the church, in friendships, in community, in marriage, in leadership, when there's such a poor treatment of one another that is anything but Christ-like and, and lacking the essence of what it means to follow Christ and the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the question. When we treat each other so poorly, is it possible in that moment that we truly love the Lord? Because again, if, you're, if you have the vertical tuned in, man, the horizontal's being impacted. But when the horizontal's all messed up, that's indicating there's a greater problem within us or within the church. I mean, consider 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how important then is the unity, humility, and harmony within God's church demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Why then are we faithless? You know, a man was reported to look inside a church that was full of division, strife, and, and factious behaviors. And he looked and he says, who are these people? And the answer came back and says, these are people, listen, who are very particular about breaking bread, but very careless about breaking hearts. And isn't that so true in many places in the church over the years and, and even today? There's a form of religion, but there's real no evidence of a true relationship with Jesus Christ to care for one another in the way that we are to do so. See, but in Malachi, there's a faithlessness to one another, which again, listen, the faithlessness to one another horizontally is indicating there's a greater problem. There's a faithlessness towards God. So this has got to make sense. If this relationship is broken, it's only a matter of time before this relationship is broken. I'm telling you right there, right there, that is the number one reason marriages fall apart. This is broken. I'm not saying it's the only reason. I'm saying it's the number one reason. Jesus said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. That's all of life right there. All of life right there. If you abide in me, my, my words abide in you. If you are connected to the vine of Jesus Christ, if his words are abiding in you, he says, ask whatever you, you wish and it shall be done for you. The whole point of that is, he's, man, if, you, if I'm your first, if this is what's happening, you are hearing my voice, you are living out my will, you are getting my strength, you are being filled with what I want you to do. I mean, I'm telling you, give me a man and a woman that is abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ and have his words abide in them. And I just, it's just gonna go. It, it won't be easy. It won't be without trial. It won't be without anguish, but it's going to go in the direction that the Lord decides because the vertical has been established, therefore impacting the horizontal. Same with church, same with family, same with friendships, same with community, whatever it is. 
If every one of us right now is focusing on the vertical of Jesus Christ, we come in this place automatically being influenced by him to have his impact through the horizontal within our lives. And with this truth, we now enter specifically into the context of marriage and purity. Verse 11. Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Notice, notice, here we find the first marital offense against the Lord. It was the marriage of foreign women by Jewish men. Notice how serious this is to the Lord. The Lord describes it as faithless and abomination and as profane. This is a big deal to God. Notice they had, quote, profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. Um, that is, sanctuary can be described or translated as the holiness of God. They have profaned the holiness of God. Why? God had specifically throughout his Torah, law, Old Testament, uh, prohibited marriage to foreign women. But notice why he cares so much. Look at verse 11. They have married the daughter of a foreign God. Interesting, eh? How that phrase is written. What does this tell us? It's not about race. Of course, it's not about race. As if God doesn't accept Gentiles into his family, we're all living proof of that. Probably 99% of us right now are non-Jew. And we're proof that God accepts Gentiles. It's not about race. And what's it about? It's about relationship. It's relationship. It's the purity of the hearts for the Lord. Because notice here, when it says they married the daughter of a foreign God, what's that telling us? The daughters of the foreign nations, their identity is rooted, listen, in their idolatry. Their identity is in the false gods, where God's people's identity is in Him, the one true God. So the moment the Jewish men leave the Jewish context and marry the women of a foreign nation really to a foreign God, that is pure blatant idolatry and adultery against the Lord. That's why it's such a big deal to the Lord. Because why? It's idolatry that steals the hearts away from the Lord. And here we see again just how jealous God is for our love and for our hearts to be his. See, the moment the Jewish men begin to marry the foreign women is the same moment they wed their hearts to false demonic gods. And this is why it's such a big deal to the Lord. Understand this too, okay? The very thing that made the Jewish people unique and set apart was God. Right? The very thing that gave them their identity, their uniqueness, was their covenant relationship with the Lord. So when the Jewish people take the very thing that makes them unique and profanes him by seeking out relationship with false gods, that is why it's such a big deal to the Lord. You see, because they're not just cheating on their immediate context, they are cheating on God himself. This is what we must understand too. I've said this many times in years past. I'll say it again right now, right? In the context of my marriage to my wife, Jill, the proper theology is before I'm ever unfaithful to her, I am unfaithful to the Lord because I belong to him. 
When a person rightly sees the covenant they have made before God himself, they do not treat that casually. They do not trifle with it. They do not walk around and think it's some kind of game. They are not interested in their preferences and their desires for happiness at the first place. They understand, I am walking before the Lord. The Lord witnessed. The Lord sees everything. I am his child. And in the fear of God vertically, I am now resolved to live my life in the fear of God horizontally with the relationships that I have. It's the loss of the vertical that despises and treats so casually the horizontal. That's what God's saying to his people, man. He's like, listen, when you do this, this is not so much against what's happening in your homes right now. This is against me. This is hearts being led astray away from me and I desire your love. That's why God treats marriage with such sacredness. This is also why the Apostle Paul said, let's go New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6. He says this, think of the connection. Here it is. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not marry an unbeliever. The Bible is very, very clear. It's right here. This is God's will. Some of you walked in here today and trying to rationalize. I hear it all the time in different situations and whatever. Listen, here's what we know. 100% the will of God is um, believers do not marry unbelievers. 100%. No exceptions. Dating evangelism is a very dangerous game. You say, well, it worked on my contact. Just the grace of God and how that all works, whatever. here's what we know to be so true. We know this to be so true. Listen, here's the reason why. For what partnership has rightness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? It means worthlessness or emptiness. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? The most sacred intimacy and union we have is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then how can that be yoked unequally with someone who does not have the most essential? It doesn't mean you can't be friends. It doesn't mean you can't pray for it. It doesn't mean you don't love. But again, the Bible is so... So clear. Why? Because, because the Lord wants our hearts, you see. It's a heart thing. It's a heart issue. Let's break that down in a few more places of, of application. Consider why then in the same light, pornography is an abomination. Pornography is an abomination because you're giving your heart to false demonic gods. Men and women, remember, that's, what, that's what's happening when you do that. You're giving your hearts to false demonic gods. You're you're the idolatry and the adultery away from the Lord towards that which is absolutely evil. That's why God cares so much. He's watching his children worship pure demonic evil. Of course he says, return to me. Consider why sex outside marriage between a man and a woman is profaning what God has instituted. The covenant that he has set apart for the beauty and the purity of marriage. Consider the believer turning his or her best and most sacred affections to that which is unholy and, and awful. So we need to understand if we are in this place right now or considering doing something, we need to convince ourselves by God's word today, listen, the results, the results will not be good if we do these things. God will guarantee that for us today. It's amazing how we say, no, I'll, I'll be the first person to live in pornography and also worship the Lord Jesus Christ with great effectiveness. No, you won't, man. No, you won't. That is impossible. That is theologically and spiritually impossible for that to happen. 
the results just won't be good. Now, the enemy says, oh, it's going to work out great. Your flesh says, do it, man. It's going to feel awesome. The Holy Spirit says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. The Lord speaks directly to our hearts today. And listen, listen. The marriage and relationships that have been so devastated by the faithlessness to our God. You know, that's what happens in verse 12. In verse 12, in this context, he's like, that man cannot come in front of me with worship. They will be cast aside. Here's what we know in our context. The Holy Spirit of God will be grieved. The Holy Spirit of God is grieved as we pursue things that are being described here in our text today. The Lord calls out for faithfulness among his church. May he find faithfulness to him here today. Maybe people will be led towards repentance. Maybe people are led towards just a brokenness. And Lord, I need to be right with you. Praise God if that happens. Within marriage, we must be faithful to the Lord. Number two, within marriage, we must be faithful to each other. We must be faithful to each other. Look at verse 13 now. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping, groaning, because he, has, he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Here's right. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So what we see now is the heart of God for marriage, specifically, and just how seriously God looks at marriage and treats marriage. Let's get some theology of marriage before us right now. I find this is so helpful. Get a foundation of what the Bible says about the reality of marriage starting from the first two chapters in the Bible itself. Here's a theology of marriage. Remember this. It was God who made male and female. God did that. God was the one. He made male and female to come together in a union. Again, only as beautiful as he can design. It was God who designed marriage. Remember, he looks at Adam, and he's like, hey, Adam, don't think it's good for you to be alone. I got someone I want you to meet. I think you're going to like her. And Adam's like, whoa, I do like her. I do, right? It's God's design. Marriage is the design of God. It was God, I love this, it was God who performed the first marriage ceremony. Adam and Eve come together, and he did it. Awesome. I cares about marriage so much. And notice, it was God is the one who said, be fruitful and multiply. It was God who designed procreation itself and the multiplication of the human race in the most beautiful expression of intimacy ever known to man. It is all the creation, the design, and the glory of God. The theology of marriage is God was the one who instituted marriage, who designed marriage, who set marriage apart again as the reflection of what he desires to see even with his son for the church. So understand this. Okay, this is important. Marriage is not only a divine institution. Marriage is the first of all institutions. It's the first of all institutions. Why, why? Well, consider this. Marriage appears in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, and remember, I love this, I love this. Ultimately, Marriage between a man and a woman. This is why God cares about it so much. The ultimate reason God cares and treats marriage so with such sacredness is ultimately the marriage between a man and a woman is an illustration of the relationship of Jesus Christ to his church. 
So husband, love your, love your wives as Christ loved his church. So don't you see? And think about it. In Genesis chapter 1, it's creation. God speaks and the world is formed. Awesome. Then you turn the page in Genesis chapter 2, and it's marriage. And you'd be like, that's weird. Marriage would show up in the second chapter? Creation and all that's astounding wonder and amazement? And the very next chapter in God's word is marriage? Tells you something, doesn't it? And then in, watch this, okay, watch this. From the moment marriage is instituted and sin comes into the world, the plan of God unfolds through the entire remainder of the Bible of the ultimate pursuit of God to his people represented through his son to his bride. And the rest of the Bible's story and including the book of Malachi here before us right now is the Lord reaching out in love for his people to restore them to himself at the end of the day as Genesis 2 begins with marriage and at the end of Revelation when Jesus Christ returns for the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the bridegroom will restore his bride to himself and be married perfectly forever without sin or darkness or pain or any kind of evil because Jesus Christ has been faithful to us and he'll be faithful to the end. So you see what's happening there? Marriage is one of the grand theologies of the entire Bible. That is why God cares so much about marriage. It's supposed to illustrate his love for us. So it is about a man and a woman coming together. It is so much more. It is the demonstration and symbolism and illustration of the sacredness of how God treats the beauty of marriage. So don't you see now, okay, don't you see now why how grieving it is to the Lord and His Spirit the way our society has profaned marriage? I mean, think about it. I, th- I, I don't think we really have, have, have understood how important this is to God. It's taking something so precious, beautiful, and designed by God and desecrating it. So you see, oh, how the church most of all should view marriage in the same light as the Lord. And again, for those of us who are single right now, those of us who want to be married one day, those of us who maybe know we won't be married sometime in the future, but your role in supporting the institution of marriage because God cares about it so much. Jesus never got married. Think of how important marriage was to him. This is why in verse 13, the people are weeping and groaning. Because they're like, how come God's not listening to us? How come he won't receive our offering? But again, the reason in verse 14 is because you have been unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Verse 14 becomes an astounding. Verse 14 could be a whole fantastic wedding sermon in itself. Verse 14 is the unpacking of the beauty of marriage. So consider this. I want to break down the phrases in verse 14, okay? The first one is this. It says this. The Lord was witness. See that in verse 14? The Lord was witness, meaning, meaning that alone is massive. The one who designed marriage is the one who witnesses marriage. So this is the reality of all marriage for believers, okay? You're standing there in your vows, right? You're saying your vows, and the Lord is in that moment witnessing also the vows that you are making. He cares so much. So I performed... Dozens of marriage ceremonies. Husband and wife, groom and bride. You guys know you're making these vows before God right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Hey, you know how serious this is, right? I think so. Yeah, you really, you really got to think about it, young people. You really, you, anyone, you really got to think about what you're doing. Don't enter into this lightly. Just, it's a covenant before the, the Lord is witness. The Lord is witnesses as you're witness to what? Witness between, notice verse 14, witness between you and your wife. This is beautiful to me. So the design of God is marriage, a man becoming one flesh with his wife, the woman. So notice here, this union is truly supernatural design, okay? Now, I understand the reality of who's all sitting in this room right now, particularly this weekend. Some young people are here, but I don't, I don't want to apologize. And I'll try to be wise in the way I say it, okay? But the design of God in a man and woman becoming one flesh. You know what I mean by that? Adults? Good. All right? That one flesh union, that act, is one of the most sacred incredibly beautiful, glorious designs of God in all creation. It is the most intimate, can be the most powerful, the most spiritually pure thing that ever takes place in the understanding that God has set apart a man and a woman to come together in love, in devotion, in faithfulness, in loyalty, in purity with one another to be joined in that way. It is a when you really step back far enough and look at what God has done in allowing men and women to come together in that way. Now think about how our world has caused that to be an abomination. Think of how that act of sex has been so utterly trampled upon, desecrated, blasphemed. But it never takes away from the fact of what it was meant to be in the first place and what it still can be today. For me, for me, I'm telling you, and this is an opportunity, I've been thinking about this in recent months, but just I'm looking through creation and just understanding the design of God and all that we see. And for me, I mean, to, for me to really look at the details of creation, you know, like recently we had a robin in our backyard and it was building a nest, like really close. And it was built a nest and just watching our kids, watching it form the nest and, and shape the nest. And then the, the little babies are inside. It was a little bit high, went up, took the little tiny babies are feeding, you know, just the, the creation and multiplication of these, of these little lifelings. Here they are. And just to, to look at that in itself and go, accident? Big bang? Really? <laughs> really? Really? And then I step back and then I'm like, a man and a wife coming together and the design of those two bodies that fit perfectly together to reproduce for new image bearers of God to be born with emotion and life. Big, ba big bang, what? Are you kidding me? The faith it takes to believe that somehow the perfect connection of human beings coming together, man, and like, I don't have enough faith for that, man. But I have worship for my God to understand how he has designed this of a man and woman to come together to see us here, even right now, all oh, the wonder and the beauty of our God. He is the genius, the infinite knowledge, the glory. See what I'm getting at? It's the Lord, man. All that, he's witnessed between you and your wife. Notice also he's witnessed between the wife of your youth. It's a sweet phrase in verse 14. Now consider the affections of when a husband and wife first meet. Think about it. When a husband and wife first meet, they fall in love. When they marry, 
There's really nothing like it. There's, there's nothing like it. Nothing so precious. Nothing so strong. Nothing, nothing so dear. Really, that uh, intimate connection of a man and woman coming together for the first time. I remember dating Jill. I specifically can feel and recall the emotions I had when dating Jill. And I remember one time she was going to come up to my parents' house and, and I was waiting for her to come and kind of, you know, look in the way. Is she here yet? Is she here yet? She, and then she kind of pulls it out. I run to the back room, you know, and then she rings the door and kind of walk up slowly and just like, oh, you know, how's it going? And oh, I didn't see you there, you know. Hey, come on in, come on. Heart pounding, you know, pounding and so excited. And listen, that's something that her and I only alone have and share. That in itself, and then to progress into marriage and the feelings and the emotions and the desires and the excitement and the joy. It's so set apart and sacred by God's design within marriage. I was thinking about this a lot this week, and so here's a, here's a picture of Jill and I on our, on our wedding day. And so look at how happy we are, huh? Look at how young we look. Oh, that's depressing. That is depressing, all right? But notice, like, what, what does this represent right here? You know, like, this, rep- this represents something that only Jill and I will ever know between each other, at least in this way. By God's design, it's something that you, it just, you, you can't really articulate in, in the design of God just how intimate, how precious, and how much you got to fight for it. Anyone who's been married longer than a week knows that marriage is hard. (laughs) For Jill and I, our first year was our hardest. But you know, when you're willing to fight through, when you're willing to go and endure through the thick and thin, when you're going to suffer in some ways, when you're going to struggle, when you're going to cry, when you're going to laugh, when you're going to have heartache, when you're... I've been amazed. I I had no idea, really, what was coming. I had no idea. And I tell you today that I I did not know, I was not aware of the love that God was capable of giving to people who trust him in the disaster, in the difficulty, in the trial, but to believe him for a love. There's been many, many times where I sit up in worship and say, Lord, I... I did not understand how beautiful and powerful you are in the sacredness of this relationship in marriage. Of course, every day it's, a, it's death to self. It is selflessness. It is the pursuit of crushing your pride. But to even still to know, I, did, I didn't know it was possible. You know, Proverbs says that we are to rejoice in the, in the wife of our youth. Amen. Notice it goes on in verse 14, our little wedding sermon here. She is your companion, your companion. Oh, the journey together. Again, the ups and the downs, the joys and the trials, the thick and the thin, the the memories, the tears, the laughter, the emotions, the history, the sharing of life's most sacred moments. And this is all within marriage. This is God's design. And then notice at the end of verse 14, notice, and your wife by covenant. Covenant, that word should probably be circled. Wow. So when I'm doing a wedding ceremony for husband and wife or bride and groom, this is, this is right in my sermon notes. So I often say this as I begin the ceremony. I'm just going to put my sermon notes on the screen here. I often say this, but listen, taking on the word covenant in verse 14. You today are making a covenant to God before each other. Talked about that. That's a huge deal. Covenant, what does covenant mean? Covenant defined in Scripture is Solomon binding. 
It's to last a lifetime. Love is not an, an emotion or a feeling. Love is a choice. It's Solomon binding. So that's a huge deal. That's powerful. Covenant also means a walk unto death. I really love that phrase. A walk unto death. That's beautiful. Covenant means a pledge of supernatural oneness. But the Holy Spirit brings together, trusting Him, abiding in Him, and seeing the fruit upon their lives. That's amazing. And then a promise. This is so important. A promise to withhold nothing from God. Why? Notice it starts with the vertical, right? Allowing Him vertically to free you to not to live for you horizontally. If you're going to make it in life and marriage, that's essential. It all comes back to you got to know what covenant means. You got to be aware of this. Our society wants nothing to do with this right now. Jesus Christ and His Word wants everything to do with it. It's ultimately the picture of what He came to do. You see how sacred marriage is and how sacred it must be to us? I just want you to notice verse 15 real quick, okay? Notice, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union, probably referring to one flesh? And what was the one God seeking in faithfulness to marriage? Look at the answer, two words, godly offspring. You see that? What is another reason God cares so much about the sacredness of marriage? Because through the faithfulness of people who love Jesus Christ and within their marriage, then the result from that is offspring that also are godly and love the Lord Jesus Christ. At the very least, under the example of love and sincerity of two parents who are fighting for the love of Jesus Christ and the kids witness that and then often, so often, the honor that God brings to see the children also walking in that way, godly offspring. Amazing. Within marriage, we must be faithful to the Lord. We must be faithful to each other. Thirdly and finally this, we must be faithful or we will falter. We must be faithful or we will falter. Look at verse 15. So here's the end, okay? So notice the instructions God is giving, the heart that he's putting on the table for this, and now it's like, Notice, so, the first word, so, so, therefore, therefore, because of this, here's the implications. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So notice again, the command for faithfulness twice, or the command to not be faithless twice. So just consider the heart of God here for your heart and for the heart of marriage. Just consider what he's saying right now. We cannot miss it. It's right before us. The man or woman who wants to be married one day, consider the heart of God for your heart as you approach this institution. Consider the preparation of your heart, your purity. Young men, young men, your purity. Young women, your purity. Your integrity, this matters to God. Your affections, be very careful with them. Do not treat these casually. The instruction is guard yourselves in your spirit. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Watch your heart. Don't disregard this. And I have to say this here today too. Then the man here right now, the woman here right now, you're on the brink of unfaithfulness to your spouse. Or the man here right now, here right now, you are in the midst of unfaithfulness or adultery to your spouse. Right now. 
and you know you're doing it. I have a question for you. Do you honestly think you will succeed? Do you honestly, have you deceived yourself so far down the path of evil and deception that you have convinced yourself somehow this is going to work out? Everything in God's word says to you in love today, he pulls you aside and he says, he says, my child, it's not going to work. Oh, it feels right right now. It feels right now. Just give it some time. It is a guarantee of consequences that aren't good. It's a guarantee because we reap what we sow. The enemy wants you to do it because he wants to kill you and your family. Your flesh wants to do it because the flesh wants to make it entirely about your happiness and your personal satisfaction. Jesus Christ says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. God says directly, this could be one of those moments in your life that changes forever. God looks directly at you today and says you will not win. You will not win in the path of adultery. You will not win in the path of unfaithfulness. You will not win. I love you enough to tell you that, God says, and I invite you to return to me that I may return to you. But there's more. It gets more serious. Verse, verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence. Okay, the ESV translates verse 16 the way we just read it, obviously, but they also provide a footnote to the traditional translation. New American Standard, NIV, New King James, New Living, all translate the first part of verse 16 as, I hate divorce, says the Lord. ESV translators admit it's one of the most difficult Old Testament passages to translate. What we know for sure, the context of our passage compels us to recognize how much God despises divorce. That's abundantly clear. God's heart for marriage, it's crystal clear throughout this text. Divorce is so destructive. Notice what follows. It says, the man who covers his garment with violence. In Bible times, when someone got married, the man would put a garment over his bride as a symbol of protection. God says, that's flipped now. In divorce, the garment now is over the bride, over the wife of one of violence. Here's what I want you to know I'm very aware of right now, okay? Because I know this message in some ways is difficult. Here's what I'm aware of. Pastorally, I'm aware of the hundreds of different situations that are represented in this room. I am intimately aware in some cases, 15 years of ministry will do this, of the complexities of marriage, the complexities of hurt, the complexities of suffering, the complexities of each individual situation when it comes to things like marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I'm aware of that, and I want to be loving to you right now. I do. But the thing we must understand as we deal with God's heart for marriage, and in this case, divorce on this text, what we must admit and know in the midst of the complexities and the different forms of heartache that are represented here right now, we must admit that divorce or the loss of marriage or family will always bring great hurt and great pain. Divorce does violence to the sacred institution of marriage. Divorce brings hurt to the most intimate of relationships. Divorce ultimately will leave scars that never fully heal. Divorce is one of the single greatest contributors to the downfall of our society. Again, divorce is that which separates, which Jesus says, let no man separate. Divorce is the breaking of covenant ultimately before God. 
But let us understand again, the greatest reason that God desires faithfulness and fidelity within marriage is because marriage is ultimately meant to illustrate the relationship of Jesus Christ with his bride, the church. A husband and wife are meant to illustrate the love that Christ has with his church. Jesus loves his church unconditionally, sacrificially, permanently. Human marriage is designed by God to reflect such beauty, such grace, and such love. Think, aren't you so glad Jesus chose you, found you, loved you, died for you, cleansed you, redeemed you, restored you, saved you, washed you? Aren't you so glad that Jesus will never leave you, that he will always be married to you? Aren't you so glad that Jesus Christ will never, ever cheat on you? Ever. He can't. He's perfect. He loves you with a perfect love. That's the gospel. So what do we do with that? Let it humble us in his love and grace and now seek to live out in the same example of how Jesus Christ has loved us. Verse 16 says it best at the very end. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. I end here. How are we faithful ultimately? The way we are faithful is looking to the one who is faithful, Jesus Christ. The more we look to the faithful one, the more we become like the faithful one, the more we become faithful. It all starts with the, the whole book of Malachi. It's the vertical impacting the horizontal. We have specifically, the worship team, you want to come up right now, you can. We have specifically chosen this song for you as a way for you to respond as God's Spirit leads. This song is about the faithfulness of God and our brokenness of our sin before Him. There are hundreds of different situations in this room right now. God knows how they all apply. I encourage you to sit where you are quietly, to reflect, to maybe sing to yourself if you want to, but to take this song and allow it to pour over your heart, to be in a right place with the Lord. God says, return to me, and I will return to you. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Father, this is an important moment. This is an important text. This is an important time. I pray that you will use it. I pray that our eyes are turned now to the faithful one, regardless of where we've been and what we've done. The grace that is available today for all those truly repentant, contrite, broken in Jesus Christ. Grace is available today. Forgiveness is here. Loved ones, Jesus is always the answer. He's the answer to you now. Receive, receive the song. And may it bless your heart in Jesus' name.